From KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado in the United States, this is program number 17 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful to us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The tactile traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer allows them to live a normal life. To people like me, who are totally blind, and to sighted parents who have a blind child, to blind parents who have sighted children, blind parents with blind children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, tear gas and contact lenses. Research on an increase in Charles Binet syndrome is a result of social isolation from COVID-19. And how to tell when it looks like rain, when you can't look. This is a sound you don't want to hear. The sounds of tear gas canisters exploding near you. President Bush decided was trying to decide whether to go to Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, to send troops over, and the citizenry here in Colorado felt a little jittery about that. Felt like he was talking about Iraq a lot, not much about Afghanistan. So I was doing some news work for KHEN Radio out of. K-H-E-N out of Salida, Colorado. So a group of us decided to go down to Colorado Springs and protest. It was a, a planned protest. About 4,000 people showed up at a park. And, and for some reason, as we were dispersing, the city of Colorado decided they were going to uh, tear gas us. I guess they uh, had run out of patience and didn't want us there anymore. And as I was trying to interview some people, we were tear gassed. Um, I wear glasses, so it didn't affect my eyes that much, but I did get a gulp of tear gas, and it was uh, very, very, not painful, but you it was very hard to breathe, and what it does, it makes you cough until you end up regurgitating some fluids. Jamie Lewis, who has post-polio syndrome, couldn't just turn around and run in another direction because he's in a wheelchair. It was in a manual wheelchair, and uh, you know, can imagine trying to juggle a recording device and a microphone and trying to get away from uh, the smoke. Um, it's a very heavy smoke, so that's that's a good thing you can see it. So if you if you see it, you definitely want to run the other direction. 
Now Jamie lives in an apartment in downtown Denver over a store that's so close to the Colorado State Capitol building that they board up the store's windows when there might be demonstrations in the area. Which was often last year after the death of George Floyd under the knee of a police officer in Minneapolis. There was one thing that could have made his tear gas experience even more complicated while maneuvering his wheelchair while holding a recorder and microphone, contact lenses. With contact lenses, the chemical in the tear gas can get absorbed by the contact lens. And that absorption, if you were to leave the contact lenses in, could cause damage to the eye because it could leach out of the lenses and cause you know chronic irritation and could cause damage to the eyes so we always recommend if someone is exposed to tear gas or any other chemicals uh, while they're wearing their contacts to wash their hands first make sure everything's clean and then get the contacts out as quickly as possible and then rinse the eyes with water or saline to protect the eyes to try and flush out any chemicals Dr. Richard Davison, professor of ophthalmology and vice chair of the University of Colorado School of Medicine and the cornea specialist. If they don't do that, then they could cause irritation to the cornea and to the surface of the eye, like the conjunctiva. And if it were left in for a long period of time, it could potentially cause permanent damage because we worry about damage to the stem cells of the cornea the stem cells of the cornea are the, cornea are the cells that allow the cornea to be, you know, re to regenerate on the surface and to be nice and clear. And if there were damage to those stem cells, it's possible that people could end up with cloudiness to their cornea and lose vision. In a perfect world, there'd be a public restroom handy without people in a long line ahead of you trying to get their contact lenses out and rinse their eyes but we live in an imperfect world. That's why people are demonstrating. If you can't wash your hands. Great question, I'd still take the lenses out first if you can. The reason why we tell you to wash your hands is just because of any of the chemicals on your hands you would transfer to the eye, but it's still better to get the lenses out first. So I would say if you can't wash your hands, I would take the lenses out first and then start irrigating as quickly as possible. You know, if you don't have saline, you could take a water bottle and try and just irrigate that way. Some people poke a hole in the bottom of their water bottle, whatever you can do. But the faster you get that, that liquid onto the eye to dilute the irritant, the better it's going to be. I mean, because you really wanna, you wanna get rid of the exposure as quickly as possible. Soft lenses are gonna act more as a reservoir for the chemical irritant. But either way, we would want you to take out both lenses and I, we wouldn't want you to use either lenses again. Like if you got a bad chemical exposure, tear gas or otherwise, then we would want you to dispose of those lenses and not use them again. A lot of people with big time vision problems like cornea transplants and misshaped corneas wear hard contact lenses called scleral lenses. They're so big, they rest on the white part of your eye, which is called the sclera. Soft lenses can be a couple of dollars each, depending on your lenses, your doctor, and where you get them. Replacement scleral lenses can cost up to $1,000 each. And that's the problem. And, and luckily, you know, if you had a scleral, I mean, it, it is possible that we could clean them thoroughly, 
polish them, like really try and get things out of there. But we'd want to, we'd want like a professional look at it first before you just toss them. But uh, certainly mm-hmm. soft lenses, we would definitely want you to toss. Um, but if it were a very expensive hard lens or a scleral lens, then I would say, you know, we'd want someone to look at that just so they can take a look and make sure there's no damage. And we'd want to do a thorough cleaning. When Dr. Davidson says rinse your eyes well, he means really well, like under a shower for 20 minutes. And it might be harder to take them out the longer you wait. Dr. Davidson also says, if you want to participate in demonstrations where tear gas might be used, if you can get by without contact lenses, wear glasses and bring a gas mask or goggles that completely seal your eyes, like swim goggles or the ones you'd use in a lab. If you live somewhere like Jamie Lewis lives, where all the big bus stops are on the far side of where people usually demonstrate, don't put your contacts in until you arrive at work or your destination. This story was suggested by a listener who was helping me on Be My Eyes, and she didn't mention her name. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Charles Benet syndrome is when people who have lost part or all of their vision see things that aren't there. They range from really scary things, from hideously deformed people and animals, to being enclosed by walls. Sometimes they're less scary, confusing patterns, or the same people walking up and down stairs over and over again, some kind of historic clothing or even cartoon characters or bright lights. They can keep you up when you're trying to sleep. Occasionally, people report pleasant images. Even though Charles Binet syndrome was first identified in 1851 by Swiss scientist Charles Binet, and as many as half of all people who lose their sight experience CBS, Few eye doctors tell their patients about it. So a lot of people think they're going crazy and they're afraid to tell their doctor or anyone else. It is a completely normal part of going blind, of losing your sight. It doesn't happen to absolutely everybody. And again, we don't know why. And we are doing research in the UK to try and establish why that should be but it is something which happens and should be taken as a normal part of going blind. Judith Potts, founder of Esme's Umbrella, which organized a Charles Benet Syndrome hotline, support groups and research in the United Kingdom. Esme's Umbrella is named after her mother who had CBS. Judith is educating eye doctors, optometrists, and other doctors on the need to talk to their patients about Charles Benet syndrome. She says Charles Benet syndrome images are always silent because they're created in the part of the brain that deals with vision. So when you have sight, there are messages which run all the time from in the eye to the visual cortex in the brain. But as sight diminishes, those messages slow down or stop 
But for some reason that we still don't understand, the brain doesn't stop. The brain fires up and creates its own images. And what is seen depends on which part of the brain is firing at that moment. Why that part of the brain decides to fire as opposed to another part of the brain, we still don't know. On program number six of the Tactile Traveler, we reported an increase in Charles Binet syndrome from people becoming isolated as a result of COVID-19. Our story was from reports from people that told us that their Charles Binet syndrome started going not after they began spending most of their time in their homes and apartments. Now a study funded by Esme's Umbrella confirmed what we observed. I became aware from uh, calls to my helpline and emails to my email inbox and my Facebook page that the whole essence of lockdown, the isolation and the stress and possibly the fever who caught COVID, were making episodes of Charles-Bonnet syndrome much uh, more frequent, and the images that people were seeing were much more frightening. Judith Potts, through Esme's Umbrella, commissioned research optometrist Lee Jones, PhD, also based in London, to conduct the research. Uh, we set up a survey to investigate how um, Charles Bonnet syndrome had been affected during this period of isolation. So 45 people responded to our survey online and over the phone. And what we found was that 47% uh, of respondents, so around half of our respondents, reported that the nature of their hallucinations had changed during the lockdown period. So people were describing how their hallucinations had become increasingly difficult to ignore and that the content was more sinister. So, for example... People gave descriptions of faces morphing into really disturbing caricatures with scary features like blood dripping from the eyes and, and jagged teeth. This research is important because it lets people know that they're not I alone. I think this, I would say that this is important because um, there's, there's a lot can be, that can possibly be done for people with Charles Bonnet syndrome. So if are aware that their hallucinations may occur for, pe for people living with, with sight loss. If they're aware that hallucinations can occur, we could be forewarning them to help them become more prepared for the onset of hallucinations in the future. So people need to be aware that the hallucinations aren't um, a, a sign of any cognitive problems or impairments because that's often a that's associated with Charles Barney syndrome and people tend to uh, be reluctant to disclosing their hallucinations because they're worried about what people will think. So I would say that these findings are important because they'll help to raise awareness of Charles Barney syndrome um, and really to enable us to be better protecting our patients by equipping them with knowledge and coping skills which can be helpful to alleviate any concerns with Charles Barney syndrome and enable patients to become more resilient to their hallucinations in the future. Dr. Jones says people who live with others also have increased and more disturbing CBS. 
You don't have to be permanently blind to experience Charles Finet syndrome. It can happen to people who develop cataracts, which are then removed and they see normally again. And even the people who see poorly then get glasses or contact lenses and see normally. People realizing that they may have Charles Binet syndrome is the most common comment that I get when I speak to groups of blind people. Check out programs four and six of the Tactile Traveler for more information on Charles Binet syndrome. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Being caught in a thunderstorm when you're sighted can be miserable. If you're blind or have little enough remaining vision that you can't see what's around you for more than a short distance, it's even worse. That's because we can't see places that could be possible shelters. Dangers like slippery rocks on hiking trails and puddles in rushing water next to curbs that we're about to step off of. Sighted people can look at the sky and tell if it looks like rain. They can see dark rain clouds coming their way. We wanted to see if there are ways you could tell if it looks like rain when we can't look. Dr. Sam Ng is a professor of meteorology at Metropolitan State University of Denver in Denver, Colorado. Uh, one of the main, what we call weather elements that can assist people who are visually impaired in using you know, the barometric pressure, you know, using the barometer. For the most part, when rain is about to occur, we need vertical motion in the atmosphere to form a cloud, right? Once we form a cloud, rain will start to form. So with that vertical motion, that will change our atmospheric pressure. So when the pressure drops or when the pressure lowers, typically that can tell us that rain is going to occur. It's not always going to be the case, but for the most part, anytime we get rain, we should see a drop in the atmospheric pressure. How much of it drops, it depends on uh, the type of rain we're going to get. Are we getting rain from up front? Or are we getting like convective rain like during the summertime? So that, those pressure changes are going to vary depending on the situation with a rain event. There's another way that people can learn to tell if it's about to rain. When they can't see the sky or just facing the wrong direction. Well, sometimes I can tell it that rain is coming or almost imminent because of the way things are smelling. There's a kind of an earthy, earthy quality to, to everything around me. It's more likely, this is more likely to happen when it's warmer out, so not in winter. That's the tactile traveler, Sally Ott. Sally lives in Corvallis, Oregon. It's helpful. It helps me know when my dog, my guide dog, Falco, and I should turn around maybe and head home. Thank you, Sally. You might be thinking there is a smell where you live before it rains, too, but it's not an earthy smell. Here in the eastern slope in Colorado, 
we do sometimes smell like the manure smell when it comes to a long sustaining precipitation event because for us here in the eastern slope especially in the denver region the wind's got to change its direction for an extended period of time to get those long extended precipitation period so the wind typically will come from Greeley, and Greeley is known for their cattle so you typically smell like manure smell before it's rain so here in the denver metro area Yes, the smell can can give you a hint of the long-sustaining precipitation event. Dr. Alan Hirsch is the neurological director of the Smell and Taste Treatment and Research Foundation in Chicago. He's an expert on taste and smell. And the other thing is, is they may, sometimes if there's lightning, there's ozone and they can smell that as well. So lightning is coming down, so people can sometimes if there's a thunderstorm, they can able to smell that as well. If the if the blind person wants to to have a, a enhanced sense of smell for detecting the 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 smells of the distance, they should take a a, a large, long, deep breath, breathe in really deep, sniff a long, deep sniff. And the deeper the sniff, the greater ability to detect if an odor is present. To identify what the odor is, you should take a lot of short sniffs. Because the short sniffs, multiple short sniffs, it's easier to identify what the odor is. Because if you smell that, it's, it's a good guess that the th thunderstorm or the storm is on its way. So what we need to do is learn which way the wind blows and over what to where we live or are visiting. I've worked in Estes Park, Colorado, a town in valleys at the base of steep mountains, in Charlotte County, Florida, on the southwest side of the Florida Peninsula. Both are big tourist destinations, and both have the same summertime problems, torrential rains and thunder and lightning storms for about 20 minutes at the same time every afternoon. At this park, typically, you know, you get the heating from the side of the mountain that causes the change in the pressure to create that upslope flow or the, you know, upslope flow that is right near Access Park to force clouds to form on top of the mountain, and then eventually rain will form. Same thing in Florida, you get those sea breeze convergence that creates that upward vertical motion in the you know, usually central part of Florida, so you create the cloud. In both places, the afternoon rains are such a regular part of daily life, locals don't think about telling tourists that it's gonna rain really hard at about one o'clock every afternoon. So research where you're going, through the National Weather Service, a weather app, or by asking people in your hotel if it usually rains at about the same time every day. Then you can schedule indoor activities like lunch, shopping, and museums instead of being caught in a lightning storm on top of a mountain on a golf course, or in a whitewater raft, a long way from shelter. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world, and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. 
why it's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are also available for our deaf listeners by searching the tactile traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in other states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get podcasts. And by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, the Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following organizations and people that help make today's program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support, Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Scott Murrigan, Hava Dean, Joe Beaver, Kerry Thompson, Chris Mitchell, Paula Froome, Lorraine Hutchinson, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Lucas Turner and Raleigh Burley. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.